All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. The Passover Seder traditionally includes the youngest child asking the four questions, beginning with, why is this night different from all other nights? Well, this Passover will likely be different from all the Passovers. We're thinking there may be a whole lot of other questions, like how did mom get all these dishes cooked for our huge family? Another question is, why do we have to have brisket when we don't even eat red meat the rest of the year? And fortunately, we might hear a lot of, do you think we'll ever be back to normal? Passover is a celebration of freedom, and while freedom of movement and gathering is severely limited this year, it is at least a chance to be free to try some new dishes or change up the flavors of the traditional ones. Maybe Passover in the time of pandemic is an opportunity to go rogue, maybe just a little bit. There's nobody we'd rather talk to about the Seder with than with friend of the show, best-selling cookbook author and New York Times food columnist, Allison Roman. Allison, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. We kind of sent, sent up the bat signal. If you put your name on Instagram or Twitter, it's like a bat signal. People come <laughs> with yeah, questions. Feels good. <laughs> so if you have questions for Allison Roman, you can tweet them to us at all of it WNYC, or you can go to our Instagram page and leave a comment there. We will try to get your messages. I've been getting them all morning at all of it WNYC is our Twitter and Instagram handle. So let's just... Let's just talk about big picture stuff for a minute, Allison. What do you think should be the guiding philosophy about Seder prep this year? I feel like it's about managing expectations, um, both for yourself and, you know, friends and family that might be disappointed um, that, you know, you're not having the traditional Seder this year. Um, Everyone that I've ever been to um, has been full of so many people. It's always friends of friends, families of friends. There's always somebody new there. It's kind of like really a time to get together with just about everybody you know. So this year, obviously, things are going to be handled a little bit differently. Um, but I think that it's still a nice time to kind of remember that it is a holiday, that it happens no matter what, and to celebrate the best way you can. But, you know, be kind to yourself and, and don't be disappointed if you can't find all the ingredients that you typically have access to or you can't cook all the food that you normally would this time of year. Yeah, that's one of those things I think might have caught some people by surprise is, you know, people didn't necessarily stock up their pantries with Seder in mind three, four weeks ago. So what advice do you have for people whose pantries just really aren't stocked for the meal? I would say that take a look at, you know, recipes that you like, you know, traditional, non-traditional, and see if there are substitutions you can make. If you don't have this vegetable, could you use that vegetable? If you don't have a whole chicken to make your soup, do you have a packet of chicken thighs or wings in the freezer or something like that? Kind of just being more flexible than you normally would be. Also, you you know, you did this um, wildly entertaining and informative video of your Passover preps, but it was recorded before <laughs> the you. pandemic. You know, it's been video- yeah. viewed. This week, though, it's been viewed more than 100,000 times since it was posted. What, um, what do you think when you see it now? 
It honestly kind of breaks my heart a little bit. It was it was maybe the last time that I ever had people in my apartment through this. And I, you know, I love to have people over. I do it often, and especially in the colder months. And I didn't think that that would be the last dinner party that I would have for a really long time. So it's, it's super bittersweet. I haven't seen anyone in that video for a really long time, and they're some of my closest friends. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit tough, but it does remind you that, like, that will happen again. You know, it's nice mm-hmm. to have something to look forward to. And that's my other piece of advice is I, you know, I think that the way that we've done, like, Friendsgiving, you know, the week before Thanksgiving, I think that there will be sort of, post-quarantine celebrations, you know, either for birthdays or for Passover or whatever holiday you're celebrating, just to kind of, you know, regroup and and make up a new day and and still do it, you know? Well, what about people who are cooking Seder for one or maybe two? When you think about what should they know about the reducing the scale while they're cooking? A lot of the recipes uh, that I published for New York Times cooking that, you know, the complete menu, they can be um, they can be halved pretty easily. I've been getting a lot of questions about the short ribs specifically, if they could have that. And the answer is yes. Um, and anything else can be halved as well. And I think that, you know, my advice is to either do that or have leftovers and eat that for the rest of the week, repurpose them, take the short ribs, shred them, put them in a hash the next day, make a sandwich with it, something like that. Or, you know, drop off a little care package to somebody in your neighborhood who might need it. My guest is Allison Roman, New York Times food columnist. Of course, her most recent book is called Nothing Fancy, and we're talking to her about Seder ideas. Oh, my goodness. People want to know about matzo ball <laughs> soup. And if there's one uh, thing you say, you write, if there's one thing you make from this menu, please let it be the matzo ball soup. First of all, for you personally, what is it about matzo ball soup? It is probably my first memory of, of eating a food and thinking this is the perfect food. And when I was younger and I would get sick, my mom would order matzo ball soup from this place called Solly's Deli in the San Fernando Valley. It's now closed, unfortunately. Um, but it was the same. It was sort of a, a Jewish deli, and it was the same deli that my grandfather would take me to when I was a baby, and he would watch me while my parents worked. And so I think that he must have just fed me matzo ball soup all day because I it was like I was it was something that I could not live without and required all the time but especially when I wasn't feeling well and I think that it almost has a placebo effect where you eat it and you feel immediately stronger healthier more really emotionally fortified at least um but it's just to me I'm very specific about it and people have a, it's one of those things that people have a lot of opinions on it's kind of to me like the stuffing of mm-hmm. you know Thanksgiving where do you like it you know, do you like the balls to be denser and, and those are called sinkers or lighter and fluffier? They're called floaters. Does your broth have parsnip in it? Does it not? Are you, you know, does it have dill? Does it have chives? I think that there's a lot of opinions. So I, I took what I knew and what I loved and I think I made what is the perfect matzo ball. All right. So Ray Brad is asking, what do I do if I only have one small chicken carcass for stock? How can I impart more flavor? One carcass for stock. So I have been doing that a lot lately because if I roast a chicken for dinner, I'll save just the spine and any bones just to make stock, which isn't, of course, as flavorful as a whole bird. But you'd be surprised. So I think what you do there is you just make less stock, so you add less water. Um, If you have yellow onions, garlic, that is always good to kind of amplify. Um, But I find that if the, the spine or the carcass is coming from a bird that you've already cooked, roasting it before you add it to the broth will help a lot. This is one that says, are we starting already with already cooked chicken or throwing raw chicken parts into the pot? 
That is starting with a whole raw chicken. I, I think that all chicken broths, all chicken soups, all mothballed soups should be made with raw chicken. You bring it up from cold water with the vegetables. There's celery, there's garlic, there's carrot, there's onion. Um, you bring it up to a simmer and you simmer it for about an hour and a half, two hours till everything tastes great. At that point, because you're simmering gently, the chicken will be fully cooked and tender. It shouldn't be dry. It shouldn't be overcooked. So it's still edible. So it's sort of like a two birds, one stone. And this year I'm telling people, you know, maybe take the chicken out, pick the meat and save it for something the next morning, make chicken salad from it. You know, it doesn't need to be in the soup, especially if you're having something like short ribs later on. I'm staying with a matzo ball soup, Allison. We have a lot of matzo ball soup questions. Um, here's another one. Is it even worth attempting vegetarian matzo ball soup? Suggestions for added flavor? Question mark. That's a two-parter. <laughs> um, yeah, veg- vegetarian matzo ball soup is great. I think for the broth itself, you would just make like a really nice oniony uh, broth. And every time I make chicken broth, regardless of whether you know it's Passover for matzo ball soup or not, I leave the onion skins on. And not only is it because I don't want to peel them, because that's annoying, but it also imparts <laughs> this really beautiful golden color to the broth. And that is the, is the same for uh, vegetarian broth as well. So absolutely, you can do that. And for the balls themselves, my recipe calls for chicken fat, which, you know, whether you can find it or not, or whether you're vegetarian or not, I have substituted with melted butter, which is not definitely not kosher, but it is extremely delicious. Um, and also it can be made with sort of a neutral oil or an olive oil. The olive oil will be more assertively flavored, but still delicious. And this is someone who's already planning and is thinking, I've made my soup and I love it. This is Annie who tweeted to us, making the matzo ball soup, how do I store it for days after? Matzo balls separated from broth, make the matzo balls only right before I intend to eat it with the broth, or store the, ba- the balls inside the stock once it's all complete? Help. So I, I experimented with this a lot because I was testing the matzo ball soup and I needed it to, you know, I would put the, I, I made several batches. And so I would have a lot of leftovers, so I'd store them in my fridge to see just how long they'd last. And I was afraid that the matzo balls would get soggy in the broth, but they didn't. They actually held their own for, you know, up to three days in the broth. So definitely store them in the broth. Um, the soup will be a little bit cloudier on the reheat, but, you know, still delicious. But you definitely want to store them in liquid, and I just keep them in the soup itself. My guest is Allison Roman, New York Times food columnist, author of the book Nothing Fancy, her most recent cookbook. And, of course, she's all over the Instagram. We're talking about Passover. And, you know, you have a, um, a Seder menu, which you've provided in New York Times. It's online. But you write, please know that the dishes here are inspired by tradition but not bound to it. What's a good example of that? I'd say the best example, well, the whole menu is really, I think, a great example, and that's kind of how I roll, generally speaking, and I offer that as a disclaimer to anyone looking for, you know, very hardcore tradition. That's not really my style, but I think that something like the haroset, which is, you know, a traditional condiment found on the table, um, made with apples and walnuts, honey, maybe some cooking wine, spices, and it's sort of like a finely chopped paste condiment thing. And I, it's, it's just not my preference to eat on the table. But so I took the same ingredients. I have apples, honey, walnuts, but I made them more into a salad. So they're shaved raw apples. They get dressed in honey and vinegar, sprinkled with some toasted crushed walnuts. And it is one of the more delicious things on the table. And I would eat that any time of year with pretty much anything. Um, I feel like that's going to go into the regular rotation after Passover is done. <laughs> 
If you have a question for Allison Roman, you can tweet it to us at all of it WNYC. That's also our Instagram handle. You can leave us a message there at all of it WNYC. And don't worry, all those people who tweeted and messaged about Google, we're getting there. We're getting there. Just hold your Kugels. Um, another non-traditional but kind of traditional dish is parsley salad with fennel and horseradish. Mm, yeah, that is. I love eating parsley just like a salad green. Um, and on the Seder plate, there's a, prig, a sprig of parsley that I, I always just eat, you know, after dipped in the salt water, I eat it because I find it delicious. Um, and, you know, I thought, okay, I, I'm obviously not having a traditional Seder plate for this menu, but that is sort of a nod to it. Um, you know, incorporating things like the horseradish and the parsley, but together in one salad, again, it's sort of a salad that I would want anyway, if I were eating a large, you know, braised meat like that. Um, and to me is a really delicious, peppery, acidic, kind of salty, crunchy salad that would go with anything any time of year. But I think it's kind of just a nod to the ingredients that you would see for a traditional Seder. So another traditional spit dish that you put your own spin on, we're getting to it now, is kugel. So do you <laughs> like the sweet or the savory? I like savory over sweet just about everything. I'd be hard-pressed to find an answer if you asked me savory or sweet, and I'd answer sweet. Um, the, the kugel itself is not something that I had ever had. I had heard of it. I had only ever had a noodle kugel, which is sweet. A kugel, for people who don't know, is sort of a baked pudding casserole type dish. Um, the noodle variety is sweet. It's made with egg noodles. It's almost custardy. There's a bit of cinnamon in it. And it sets and you cut it into squares. And it, to me, is just kind of, it's not quite sweet enough to be dessert. And it's definitely you know, too sweet to be savory. And it, to me, you know, falls neither here nor there. So I wanted something decidedly savory. And then I was thinking about the rest of the menu. If I'm eating something like short ribs, I definitely want a potato. I want something starchy and kind of carby. So this was the perfect thing that I, you know, I thought would be the perfect thing for this table. And this potato kugel is essentially like a giant latka meat Spanish tortilla. There's no flour in it, but it's very eggy. So it's uh, shredded potatoes, shredded onion, lots of eggs, and then it's fried in chicken fat. There's also chicken fat in the kugel mix itself, so it stays really nice and rich and moist. You pour the mixture into the pan, and it sizzles and crisps, and then you finish it in the oven. So the potatoes slowly cook, and they become really kind of this custardy, creamy interior with this very crunchy exterior. It is absolutely delightful. Um, kind of my dream potato dish, really. You know, we've got so many Kugel questions, including several <laughs> about subbing in other potatoes if you don't have russets. Here's Rachel. She's asking, I only have five russets and a 12-inch cast iron. Any tips on how to make a dramatic Kugel? I have glass bakeware, but I don't want to give up the crispness help. So there's no cast iron. Uh, I would just say a smaller skillet. I think any skillet that's an oven-safe skillet. So if you have a nonstick that can go in the oven, you can absolutely do it in that. Otherwise, a stainless steel should work. Um, there should be enough fat in the recipe so that it'll release effortlessly once the potatoes go in. And, you know, sort of like when you bake a cake and you know how it pulls away from the sides of the mm -hmm. pan, the kugel does the same. So it contracts as it bakes, the moisture is lost, it kind of shrinks a bit. So make sure that it looks puffier, you know. You're gonna think, oh, how are all these potatoes gonna fit in the skillet? But they will, they'll cook down. Um, and you'll have like a really nice, tall, dramatic kugel. And this one is from, it's spelled P-H-A-T Nancy. So Fat Nancy asks, 
What's the difference between a big potato pancake and a potato kugel? Also, love your lavender coat in the Passover video. What brand is it? <laughs> um, the coat is Everlane. My parents got me that for Christmas. They would be, they'll be so pleased to know you like it. Um, I, uh, what is the difference between a baked potato pancake? And like a, a potato like kugel. A, I think a potato, like a latke potato pancake to me is, it's a, its own thing. It's like a individually fried. It generally has either matzo meal, sometimes flour, um, in it for binding. It's more of like a crispy little silver dollar style thing. That's more about like the wispy edges. It's not that creamy inside. Um, and the kugel is, is like a giant version of that. And it has a lot more egg. So it's got this custardy kind of feeling to it, almost like a Spanish tortilla when you cut into it. And it's not quite an omelet because there's so much potato. So I like to say that it lives somewhere between that. It's something that you cut into a wedge. We've got a question from Daniela from Twitter. She says, I accidentally bought gluten-free matzo meal. Can I still make matzo balls or should I go back to the supermarket for the gluten-full version? Hmm. Well, I can't advise anyone to go back to the store for anything right now, <laughs> but I will also say that I have not tested this with gluten-free matzo meal. So I would say give it a shot. I think it probably exists as a product for a reason. You know, I'm how, but <laughs> I also don't want to ruin your Passover, but I also don't want to say go to the store. So I think, you know, if anything right now, we're learning that we should make do with what we have. And I would do a test run, uh, maybe do a half batch, see if you like them. If you don't, maybe just eat chicken soup and revisit the matzo balls next time you can go to the store. We've gotten a couple of these kind of tweets and, and Instagram messages about if you don't have chicken fat. If you what don't have are, chicken fat, for which recipe specifically, or just in general? I think in general. Um, I have been uh, suggesting either a neutral oil like grapeseed, canola vegetable, um, or melted butter if you are not keeping kosher. For things like, uh, you know, the matzo ball, I think that any of those would work. Um, for something like the chicken liver, like chopped liver, any of those would work as well. My guest is Allison Roman, New York Times food columnist. She is taking your questions about Seder during this time of uh, social isolation and where we might not be able to get to the store. Our number is, our number, sorry, our, you can tweet us at all of it WNYC or you can leave us a message at Instagram at all of it WNYC. I'm just kind of going through all the questions. We have so many good ones. Um, good. This one says, uh, does Allison serve her potato kugel with a dip? Mm, with a dip? I mean, no, but I would. <laughs> um, the potato kugel is seriously so delicious on its own, but I did, uh, for the Passover video, decide to break out the uh, sour cream and salmon roe, which felt extremely decadent and a little bit extra and definitely not something that I could recommend at this point in our lives. But um, just good old-fashioned sour cream would be great, or you could eat it in the latke style where you have applesauce and sour cream. All right, so this is a best way to make, Emily, this is Emily from Twitter. What's the best way to make schmaltz at home? Can I use the fat that rises to the top of the soup once solid? You absolutely can. Uh, my favorite way to do it is by purchasing other chicken parts that are especially fatty, like the wings or the feet. Um, they, that's an excellent way to render chicken fat. And it's kind of, you know, you cover it with water and you simmer it for a really long time so most of the liquid evaporates. You strain the pot and chill it, and the solidified stuff on top is what you're left with, and that's your schmaltz. That's, I think, the best way to render. 
You have a carrot recipe that looks pretty great. Uh, I like everything about it. Spicy, garlicky. Tell us a little bit more about it. These are probably, this is maybe one of the simpler recipes I've ever published. Um, And again, this is a side dish that I would happily serve year-round with pretty much anything. But it's one of the few times that I'm not roasting carrots. I feel like that's my preferred method for carrot is to roast them. I find their flavor to be best that way. But there's something about this meal that I kind of wanted just like a soft and sweet carrot to go with everything else to just kind of melt into the background, especially because there aren't any carrots in my matzo ball soup. I felt like people might want to spoon a few into their bowl if they were feeling left out of that experience. Um, So these are carrots that are not peeled. I don't really peel my carrots. If you you want to peel them, go ahead, but I don't. Um, I saute them in, again, some chicken fat. And the reason I keep using chicken fat is because when you buy the container, I just feel like you should just use it up. And if you're going to use it once, may as well use it a few more times. But Again, this would work very well with butter, brown butter, olive oil, neutral oil. Um, And the carrot coins, they're just thinly sliced. They get tossed, seasoned with salt and pepper until they're just tender. Uh, No mushy carrots, just, you know, an (laughs) al dente carrot. And then they get a little bit of chili flake in there. And then the thing that's nice about these carrots is that they get finished with a clove of uh, raw garlic that I grate with a microplane. You could also finely chop them. And you just toss them to coat in the raw garlic. And so what that does is it mellows the garlic slightly, but it's not this cooked garlic flavor. It is decidedly raw. It's a bit punchy. Um, so, you know, tossing them kind of mellows out the intensity, but it is, just, you know, definitely an experience. So if you're sensitive to that flavor, you could skip that. But I think that's what makes them really special. You touched on this at the top of the interview, the idea that you are going with non-brisket, you are going with short ribs. What yeah. is the secret to, sh- to good short ribs? Well, I think the secret to good short ribs is leaving them alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> you need to give them the time and the space that they need to get as tender as they can become. And I think that I personally am a very impatient cook. I'm a very impatient person in general across the board. But I find that short ribs are the one time that I really allow myself to walk away from the oven I I will sometimes leave the house. I will run an errand. I will come back because I'm always so tempted to check on them. But, you know, after, unless it's been at least three to three and a half hours, you don't need to even peek in there because nothing's going on. But I think that the, the trick really is time um, and lack of attention almost. You want to be as unfussy with them as possible. But the, the nice thing about these is that while they are unfussy and they get as tender as they want to be, that last stage of taking the lid off of the Dutch oven or the heavy bottom pot, whatever you're using, and letting the sauce reduce and, you know, letting the short ribs kind of rebrown on the top is really, really nice. What if you're not serving meat? What if you're not a meat person? What's another good main course that could go well with the rest of the Seder meal? I mean, honestly, I would just double down on that kugel, <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> I feel like the rest of the meal is really fantastic. You could do the matzo ball soup vegetarian, and then you have the carrots, the fennel salad, the apple salad, the kugel. That, to me, is plenty of food. And I even, you know, when I have this meal, we're making those short ribs on Saturday, and I'm not a huge meat eater either. And I, I almost always fill up on the kugel and the matzo ball soup. So I feel like those two things, for me, are the most important Um you know, this is one of those meals where there is always a meat centerpiece, but it's not necessarily my favorite part of the meal. 
My guest is Allison Roman, New York Times food columnist. She's helping us think about Seder in a different way. We've got a few more minutes with Allison, so if you want to sneak in a question, you can tweet to us at WNYC or go to our Instagram at WNYC and leave a message. Okay, in the dessert area, y- you went wild. <laughs> I did. I went extremely rogue in this department. <laughs> you have an ice cream sundae bar, which, of course, for some you know, people might not work. No, it won't. But again, I this was sort of it's okay. You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not kosher. I'm not keeping kosher, and that's why I'm, I made that you know announcement at the top of the piece that this is not traditional. Um, and I was even more glad when this whole thing happened that that was sort of the the angle for the story anyway but basically you know the short ribs are in the oven the kugels in the oven the oven's very busy for me on passover i'm not really interested in baking anything it's also a pretty involved meal um and i just you know thought at the end of it and also passover is a long meal and it, it can go for hours and i just didn't really want a traditional cake type thing at the end of it. I didn't want to be baking, and I certainly didn't want to have to serve everybody their individual cake. Um, and I thought, you know what would be really fun is if you just put out a bunch of ice cream and some really fun toppings. Um, that's something my grandma would say. She, everything is fun, especially if it's dessert-related. But, you know, and just kind of let people have dessert or not. You know, a very low-pressure, low-stress thing, something that you don't need your oven for, and something that still is, you know, flourless. And your grandmother, I remember, she's the lady that told you how to paint your fingernails and why they're always orange. She is, yes. (laughs) Thank you for remembering that. She'll be (laughs) flattered. There is somebody who wants to know, Jillian from Instagram asks, any other go-to meals with Seder leftovers? I mean, Seder leftovers to me are the best leftovers. I'm the kind of person who keeps a box of matzo boards in their kitchen at all times, 365 days a year. I love matzo. Um, but, you know, I make matzo brai with leftover matzo boards, and that's sort of like Ooh, a scrambled egg. Savory. I make mine savory the way my dad does it, but it's a sort of like a scrambled egg, you know, custardy matzo dish, which is so good the next day, just when you think you couldn't eat any more matzo. Um, and then anything else, you know, I would just repurpose the way that you would any, I mean, any leftovers. If you take the short ribs, you can take it off the bone and you can toss it back in the braising liquid and thin it out. Maybe eat it as a soup over noodles. You could put it in a sandwich, um, eat it on matzo itself, maybe with some mustard, something like that. Um, and then the carrots, I mean, I just, I ate them cold actually the next day after the, the video that we did and they were almost better cold. They were just like a very, very delicious snack that I ate straight out of the container in my kitchen. We've got some more questions about the classics. If you're up for it, uh, of course. Someone wants to know how much fat should or shouldn't be skimmed off the top of the matzo ball soup. That's Rudy. Check it in. Rudy, I will let you know that I never skim the fat from my soup. I skim the fat from short ribs because it is just an ungodly amount of fat, and it's not the type of fat that I enjoy eating. But I love chicken fat. I love the way it tastes. I think it makes the soup better. I think it makes it richer. Um, I love those little pools of yellow fat on top of the bowl. I never skim the fat for my chicken soup. So none, zero percent. Someone wants to know, well, I do want to make brisket. How do I make brisket? <laughs> there's a million ways to wait. There's a million ways to make brisket. Um, I mentioned that you can actually use brisket in the recipe that I provide for the short ribs. It would just be, you know, 
take probably a bit more time, um, but not by much, maybe like another half hour to hour, I would say, um, if you were doing a, a full, you know, 4.5 piece of brisket. But if you were doing, say, a three-pound piece of brisket or something a bit more manageable, um, you wouldn't really have to change much in the recipe. That's how I prefer to eat my braised cuts of meat. I'm not a saucy, ketchup-y, tomato tomato-based meat person. I like all of my red meat when it's braised to be really acidic and tangy. I'd love to finish with fresh lemon and herbs. Like I want to keep it as bright as possible because it can become so, so heavy. Listeners, thank you for all your questions, your tweets, and your Instagram messages. And of course, thanks to Allison Roman, New York Times food columnist. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Allison. You too. Thanks for having me. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.